Welcome to the State of the Planet, a UN Environment Programme production. I'm Tim Albone, your host. Today, in episode two, I'm joined by Dr. Henry Newfeld, the head of Section, Impact Investment and Adaptation Analysis at the UNEP-DTU Partnership. Today, Henry and I discuss adaptation and what it means, COVID-19 and its impact on adaptation, planning, finance and implementation, the 2020 Adaptation Gap Report and what it actually shows, and the global stock take that's due in 2023. So, over to the podcast. So, Henry, thank you very much for joining me today on this podcast. We hear a lot about adaptation, and I just wondered if we could start by talking about what exactly that means. Yeah, thanks, Tim. And it's a, it's a real pleasure to be here on this podcast. So when we talk about adaptation, we're talking about a process that is related to responding to climate change to lower climate risks. Ultimately, we do that to reduce the risk we are exposed to or are expected to be exposed to in the future by responding reactively, coping, or in anticipation or planning for these changes that will come. You know, we have different ways of doing this in public sectors and private sectors. They respond to these climate risks and the way we reduce the climate risks through this process of adaptation is by reducing the exposure to climate hazards or by reducing the vulnerability or increasing the resilience of people, of communities, of individuals, of countries to these climate risks. And that's basically the process through which we have to uh, address adaptation. This is the process of adaptation. There's a strong link to development here, particularly when it comes to the way we understand adaptation, because it's, there is no such, no measure like the one we have for mitigation. The overarching metric we use is CO2 equivalents, carbon dioxide equivalents. In adaptation, we don't have that. It's a combination, a mix of many, many different metrics that combine together and tell us something about our exposure to these climate hazards and our vulnerability to them. A lot has to do with development. It has to do with the way uh, people can respond because they are sheltered or because they are able to withstand the hazards by uh, public and private means by reducing their vulnerabilities to these climate hazards. So there's also a link to maladaptation. I think I should mention that when we do adaptation without, or when we do pro, um, development without considering climate hazards, climate risks, then very often what we re result in doing is actually maladaptation because we don't anticipate the, the side effects. For instance, when we do adaptation in, in a watershed and we're not considering what will happen downstream, we might, we might be producing maladaptation downstream to other people. And there is also uh, some form of maladaptation if we don't consider 
current and future trajectories of climate change, which will also affect the, the outcomes of our actions. And then there is also a spatial, as I've mentioned, there's a spatial context here. So it's, it's a multidimensional process that needs to be considered. And if we don't take that into account, our coping strategies can often result in maladaptation and that's not good. And we have to avoid that to the degree possible. Henry, 2020 has been a bit of a strange year, and I imagine this has also had an impact on adaptation, you know, I mean, particularly COVID-19. Could you talk about how that has affected adaptation? I mean, this year has been such, such a strange year uh, with everybody having to change their behaviors in ways we haven't experienced for at least a century, I think. In the short term, I think COVID-19 is going to affect adaptation in the way that people and uh, governments have to address this urgent, the, the pandemic urgently. That means their focus has changed from climate change, which was really high on the agenda uh, before COVID hit, to now managing the pandemic, to reducing the number of casualties, the people that die or are really affected uh, by COVID, and also the economic, the socioeconomic fallout of this pandemic that we are all experiencing in terms of uh, loss of income and downturn of the economy. So these are things that are happening and that need to happen in the, in the short term and that have led to the fact that adaptation and climate change in general has been lower on the agenda than it has been before. In the longer term, I think there's gonna be some real impacts of, of COVID on climate responses, adaptation, but possibly also mitigation because public sector finance will be much more strapped. There will be less investments in adaptation. And that, of course, is a real problem for particularly for developing countries, which are already much more, much harder hit by COVID than the, the rich nations. And, you know, they have less capacity, they have less ability to respond to the, the threats. And then when a finance situation becomes more difficult in the longer term future because of the economic downturn globally, then we will see that developing countries will struggle more and will have more difficulties responding to the growing climate threats and reducing climate risks. So that means that in the longer term, we can expect COVID-19 to be having really strong impacts on adaptation. What we don't know yet is exactly how much that's gonna be the case. So it's, it's a, an ongoing question that we're trying to respond to. We only have limited information with regard to how that will actually work in the longer term. At the same time, I think there is a real opportunity for governments to use the pandemic as an opportunity to bounce back better, to use the, oppor the opportunity of having to 
readdress major issues we deal with as a, a global community with regard to climate resilience and, and low emission economies. So by investing in green technologies and climate resilient technologies and by using the means that governments at all levels have to restructuring the investments into these climate resilient, low emission technologies and development pathways, we can use this pandemic as an opportunity to bounce back better. Unfortunately, that is not happening as far as we can see. And this opportunity is being wasted to a large degree. Henry, the Adaptation Gap Report mentions planning, finance, and implementation to help bridge the adaptation gap. What does that mean practically? Could you talk about that a little bit? So we structured the adaptation gap report around planning, finance, and implementation because they are key dimensions of adaptation. We not only adaptation, also mitigation, if you think about it that way, but um, in the mitigation process, you know, we have this overarching metric, which we don't have for adaptation. And our best bets in addressing the process of adaptation as it's being implemented at national levels, which is the focus of our report, is by looking at the ambition that countries put forward through their plans in adaptation by laws, by uh, climate strategies, uh, nationally determined contributions, their national adaptation plans. These are the instruments which governments have to explain what they're planning to do and how they view climate risks in the future being addressed. At the same time, we need to look at the finance of implementing adaptation. And uh, finance is part of the means of implementation, which also you know, contain uh, or include technology and capacity. But without finance, uh, any priority we talk about that doesn't have a budget line is just, in my view, hot air. So it, finance is a measure of commitment that we make to um, address adaptation. If there is an element of uh, support provided by developed countries, and then there is of course also an element of, report, of support received by developing countries. So that's, that's important to bear in mind. And both elements here of support are important in the context of, of adaptation finance. So planning, finance, and then of course, implementation in the context of the actions that countries undertake to address climate risks. And in the context of the support provided and received ultimately lead to the results that we need to look at in the context of adaptation. And very often these actions are still in progress very few have actually 
reached a stage where we can talk about the outcomes of, of our actions, the results that come from the implementation of adaptation action, the finance and the planning that has gone into this. And as we move forward, we will be seeing uh, a change in the baseline that we are establishing through this, these reports. So basically this report is one of the first that is using this framework. And we want to continue using this framework in order to then see changes in planning, in finance and implementation going forward. So Henry, it's maybe too early to say, but are there any key findings on the reports you can communicate to us? Yes, there are some key findings that uh, we can talk about at this stage. I will give some general results in the context of planning, finance and imp implementation that uh, I just mentioned in the question before and which are central to the, the framework we're working in. So first on adaptation planning, uh, we can see that it's widespread now. Over 70% of the countries have at least one planning instrument in place. That's laws, strategies, or policies and plans. At the same time, the quality of these instruments varies widely across the countries. And we get a mixed picture with regard to their adequacy and effectiveness in addressing climate adaptation. So what we can say is more work is needed to both enhance the number of, 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 of planning instruments across the countries and also to enhance the quality of these instruments. Second, on adaptation finance, what we can say is that it's growing slowly from a fairly low level. So we have roughly 5% of total climate finance that can be tracked, that's 30 billion, is going into adaptation finance, and uh, it's growing slowly over time. At the same time, we have to say that the estimated costs of adaptation are growing faster. So currently we're estimating 70 billion for developing countries, and these numbers are expected to grow significantly over the next uh, 30, 30 years 20 to 30 years. So what we can say is that the gap between climate adaptation finance and adaptation costs is at least not closing. We can't say directly if the gap is widening because these two units are hard to compare. They're like apples and oranges, but we can say that the gap is not closing. So we have to significantly scale up the investment in adaptation finance. And we also need to enhance the transition to a sustainable finance system with new instruments bringing, coming on board. And I can only refer to the report to looking at some of the instruments that might help us get there. Also, it's important to note that strong mitigation action will significantly reduce the costs of adaptation in the future. This is very important in the context of uh, adaptation and mitigation and their connection. The lower the temperature 
tra uh, trajectory we're on, the less adaptation we have to do and the less costs it will incur in the future. And third, on implementation of adaptation actions, that too is growing over time worldwide, but we still have a rather limited evidence of the risk reduction that it's achieving because many of these initiatives are in an early stage. However, I think you know the least developed countries fund, the Green Climate Fund and the Adaptation Fund together have so far reached over 20 million people, vulnerable people, and they have trained over 500,000 in climate resilient measures. So there is traction. We can see that they are reaching the right people. And there is in that regard some progress in at least in the context of increasing uh, adaptive capacity and resilience of, of the peoples that these initiatives are trying to reach. At the same time, we also have to scale up our investments in order to avoid falling behind as climate change progresses and the impacts of climate change start hitting harder. Thank you so much for joining us today for episode two of the State of the Planet, a UN Environment Programme production. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do subscribe and check out all future podcasts. Until then, goodbye.